You guys know how much I love nursing schools. Well, we have another one that wants us to tell you about their MSN and DNP family nurse practitioner programs. Samuel Merritt University has been educating nurses for over 100 years. And right now, they are offering tons of scholarship opportunities starting at $10,000 for both of these programs. You know, I'm in the midst of getting my MSN. And let me tell you, I wish I would have known about these scholarships when I first enrolled. Visit them at smumsn.com and show them how much you appreciate them for sponsoring our podcast. That's smumsn.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and you can also see what they pay the stipend the hourly rate all of that i'm a travel nurse now with trusted health and i absolutely love working for them so go to trustedhealth.com be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back for another week of mixing a little true crime and news stories with nursing and healthcare and coming up with a podcast, I guess. Some interesting things to talk about. Before I introduce my next guest host, I want to remind you all, for those of you living in Tennessee and Georgia, the state student nurse associations for each of those states have invited Good Nurse, Bad Nurse to do a show in front of a live audience at their conferences. So if any of you student nurses, we're going to be there and would love to meet some of you. So the weekend of September the 25th, which is coming up really soon, and I'm getting anxiety thinking about it, but we're going to be there that Saturday. And the Georgia conference is the weekend of October the 8th. We'll be there that Friday, the 8th. So if you're planning on going, please stop by and see us. Also, if you're planning some sort of event and you need, you know, you're just super desperate for, for entertainment and you need somebody to fill up some time, we would love to come to your event and do a live show there. I could do keynote speak speeches or whatever if you want that sort of thing, but the live shows seem to be getting pretty popular. I think everybody's getting pretty sorry about that. I know I am. Speaking of which, my guest host for this week is going to be doing a live show with me next spring on the Nurse Blake cruise. I'm so excited. Jessica, so glad to have you back. I'm glad to be back. I think it's been maybe six weeks or so, but always glad to be on here. Love being on this podcast. It's fun. It is so much fun. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun on the cruise next year. We're going to get past all this, this silly pandemic and be able to relax and enjoy that. I've had a couple people message me on TikTok and say that they have looked me up because of hearing me on your podcast. They were like, I had to come find you. I heard you on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse podcast, and I had to come check you out. So I was like, oh, well, that was sweet. So people are listening. That's for sure. Uh, that's awesome. I love getting the feedback. Whenever I get that sort of a feedback, I feel like it's all, I think you said that one time, just it's all com coming full circle because we're all connected. It's all like all, you know, nursing, all in healthcare, you know, we're all just sort of, it's like a big family all over the world. We're connected to each other. So I think that's awesome. Let, uh, let me know if you found me through Jessica somehow. And, and if you go to Jessica, let her know. We love hearing from you guys. Well, I guess we can get started with this bad nurse story. This is so weird. Je uh, Jessica and I just realized right before we started that for some reason there seems to be a theme running in the stories that she and I do together. I didn't realize this, but there's sort of a fire starters theme. I don't know why. It just happens. Uh, this happens a lot because I just recorded with David Metzger, the nurse papa, author and podcaster. And he said, Tina, every time we do a show, I, I think the bad nurse or the bad doctor, is his name is David. And I'm like, I swear I didn't. It never occurs to me. And then I used to record with Q a lot. He was from Boston. And I swear every time I would start and so-and-so is from Boston and Q would be like, are you serious? Now, I must have some sort of connection with the universe that just sort of pulls all this stuff in together. I don't know. Small, small world mm -hmm. or something. I yeah, know. definitely. All connected somehow. So this is the story of Rhonda Orr. And we'll kind of give you a little background on Rhonda, because this is definitely a husband and wife story. Rhonda and Jimmy met online in 1998, and they met in a chat room. So back then, you didn't play games on your phone. You would go, you know, like dial up that, that really weird thing that you have to 
you could hear the dialing and then this weird sound and it would dial in and then you could play games online and then get in chat rooms and talk to other people, you know, kind of connect with other people. So that's what they were it, doing. The, the younger people are listening right now and they're like, what is she talking about? <laughs> like, what, what, what? She's lost her mind. What is this noise? Is she, oh. <laughs> I know. It is. Yeah. It, I, it, and, I, and then you'd pray you could keep the connection. You'd be like, come on, don't. It would, we had the worst like connection on yes. my AOL dial up that it would be like, it would take like 10 minutes to load each page. <laughs> it was a, a nightmare. Trying to download things. It was, it was so slow. And then if you didn't have a dedicated line for your computer, then you were always like unplugging your landline, which I, again, people listening, if you're older than what, 35 or so, you're probably like land, what landline? What is a landline? You know, but Oh, everybody had those back back then, and you would have to unplug your, you know, the computer, plug in your phone, or vice versa. I remember one time my husband, we were young, we were in our twenties, and I had a little baby. He was like a year old, and my husband what, like climbed up into this loft to get something for me, and he fell off the ladder and landed on an exercise machine, and. It, the the leg of it went through his neck and bloods just like went everywhere. And I ran to the phone. I was and I remember just oh my god. And my husband had worked was a is a in computers. He had unplugged our home phone and plugged his computer into it. And I was just like fumbling around trying to unplug. And I remember after all of that was over and everything was fine, I was just like, I told you not to do. It. You should have been like, you know how you got get mad at somebody because you're just like you realized how close you came to losing them. I was just like, oh my gosh, we're getting a dedicated line from now on. What a freak accident! Good grief. I. No, it was terrible. It was. This sounds like a good news, bad news <laughs> incident. It does. Yeah. It really they're does. Like nur- they're like Nurse Tina allegedly mm-hmm. punctured her husband with a trampoline. Yeah, she put a she put a Nordic <laughs> track just right under where he would fall, and then knocked the ladder out from under him. <laughs> this whole wow. story could have been different had he a lot of planning. I know. Well, the doctor, the surgeon that went in because they had to kind of go in and do exploratory surgery to make sure nothing was damaged. She was just like, you need to go buy a lottery ticket because it went right in the middle of like your carotid, your vocal cords. It went right there and then just came right back out because he just pushed himself up off, off of it. And it just went straight in, straight back out. And that's just, that was crazy. I mean, he still has the scar there from it. And it looks like, you know, I went crazy one day. It was just, you know, just, <laughs> you know, we- where did it go in at? Like lower neck? Or right where? above the collarbone on, oh, gosh. I believe it was his left, the left side of his neck, but just right. There's a big old slit there where wow. the whole leg went right through. It went straight in like three or four inches. Thank goodness y'all were smart enough to know not to pull it out. No, he did it. No, he pulled it out. He pushed himself. Oh, he did? He pushed himself straight. Well, it, it did, oh, I missed that it part. It didn't sever. Huh? No, he would have died had it severed, you know, his artery or anything. I mean, you know. But they always say not to pull it out. Oh, of course they do. He did that so fast. Thinking about it now, I wasn't a nurse then. So I was, you know, total, you know, just like yeah. wife, young person, not knowing what, understanding it now. Good Lord. I mean, I don't know. Wow. I just understand now how much, how lucky we really were that that he was okay through that whole thing. But that's that. How, so did, that how, happened. Did we, how did we get here, Tina? How did we get to this? This story? is a Tina tangent. You know, we have to go on Tina tangents. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, we went from burning houses to the to the Nordic track. So lost. <laughs> no, that's a Tina tangent. They happen. That's we'll okay. Just get used to it's it. All right. If you go, guys go don't, with it. if you guys don't like the Tina tangents, please jump off now. Don't go to Apple rate and review and put give me one star and tell me how stupid I am for going off on my tangents. It's part of the podcast. If you don't like it, jump ship now. So that's kind of where they met. You know, they're they're online playing games and they're just like, you know, hey, they're connecting. And then all of a sudden somehow they figure out, oh wait, you live there, I live here. They actually didn't live too far from each other. So they decide, hey, let's meet up in real life. You know, IRL. <laughs> I don't think I don't think those initials were used at the time, but they're like, "Hey, let's meet up." And they set a time and place. And she says, "Okay, how will I know who you are?" And he goes, "Oh, did I 
not tell you about the chair? And she said, well, no, what's up? And he's like, oh, yeah, I use a wheelchair to get around because so when he was a child, he had some sort of illness that caused the muscles in his legs to be really weak. And so he had to use a a wheelchair to get around. According to Rhonda, he actually could walk with assistance, but it was really difficult to like to hold on to things. And it was a whole lot easier to get around a wheelchair. But she said that didn't slow him down at all. He could, he just did whatever he wanted, went wherever he went, like did, he didn't let that slow him down at all. Big detail to leave out. I'm just saying. Well, it but, is. Yeah. I mean, if you've been chatting on, oh, by the now that we're meeting, by the way, yeah. did I forget to say I'm wheelchair bound? Like, yeah. But I mean, maybe he didn't think they'd ever really meet in real life at first. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I just, it, I feel like it's could it could be one thing or the other. Like he could either have been literally doesn't even think about it anymore because he just tries to live his life without thinking about the wheelchair or I think probably more likely he has some insecurity about it and it's nice to be online and not have to deal with that. And he could just be himself. Or he wa- he wanted to woo her first, yeah. woo her mm-hmm. in, in love and then drop it. Yeah. Like, you know, once that she's, Rhonda's found out what an amazing man he is. Right. That could be well, yeah. Either, either way, at least he was honest before they met. I think that he wanted to know, you know, like, hey, get to know me without the wheelchair, you know, like get, get to know who I am, connect there. And then if either you're okay with it or you're not, it does, you know, and she was a, she didn't matter to her. It didn't seem to matter. She was a single mom. And initially she told him she wasn't interested in a romantic relationship. She said that she loved being a single mother and she was not interested in getting married again. She just kind of wanted to be friends with him. And so that's what they did. But he kind of kept working on her because he wanted more than that. And eventually they did decide to move in together and they got married in 1999. His mother and father were very well off and would help them out uh, quite a bit with expenses. They even helped them build a new home and told both of them that they would help pay for their school if they wanted to go back to school. And she wanted to go, of course, for nursing. And so she started studying nursing and they're paying for her to get a bachelor degree in nursing. That's nice of them. Yes, that's very nice of them. One thing about that is that it is very nice. But like I remember when I was watching the, the interviews about this, some of the people saying that, that his mom was very controlling and Rhonda said that she wanted to control every aspect of their lives. And so it kind of made me wonder, so are they, is it kind of, are there strings attached to that? Like, oh, here, we'll give you money to buy this, to build a home. We'll give you the, you know, $20,000 or $40,000, whatever, how much down payment on the home, or uh, we'll pay for your schooling, but then try to interject in themselves or herself into their lives Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, like, well, why aren't you should be doing this this way? You should be doing that that way. You shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. And not letting them just be themselves, you know, they might be used to kind of not I don't want to say controlling, but they're probably used to taking care of him mm-hmm. because his wheelchair bound started early. So maybe they're used to like mm-hmm. nurturing, like almost like over the top. I don't want to say, but, you know, maybe that they're they're not used to stepping back, you know, I could definitely see that. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I definitely could see that. And it might be difficult, especially I, I have grown children, it is not easy to see them doing things that you perceive as a mistake, and not say something because you want to say, oh, yeah. I have plowed this field before I know where the rocks are. I can keep you from getting tangled up in that if you'll just listen. But at the same time, I know how it is, too. When you're young, you think you know everything and you want the chance to just make those mistakes for yourself. So I try to stay back and not say as much and just let them do their thing. You know, Mark and I have this conversation. It's like, can you believe they're doing this or that? You know, but I just at the end of the day, it's their decision to make. And if it's I I save my commentary for the big things, you know, for like, okay, just want to, you know, like, I got to say this, like, I really think, you know, the other day, my oldest son's wife just had a baby. And she all of a sudden had started having chest pain, shortness of breath. She just had a baby like four weeks ago, or three weeks ago at the time. And chest immediately, like, instantly chest pain, shortness of breath. And she had just like gotten up or got or took a drink of water. That's what it was. And she 
sweaty. She was just like, I just started sweating. And I was just like, go to the emergency room night right now. And, and well, yeah. I, I had to put my foot down. Like, I'm like, okay, this is the time for me to insist, you know, like as hard as I possibly can. And so I tried to save my, you know, like drama or, you know. For the stuff that's really, yeah, like this one, you can't just see how it plays out. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right. I feel like that if totally I was, makes sense. If I was doing that all the time, then they're just gonna be like, "Hey, mom again," you know, just trying to live our life. And so I don't say anything, but then I'm just like, "Lacey, you could be having a PE." Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. You know, like just yeah. try. Like, yep. Listen to me. You know, I don't tell you to do things a lot. Please go now. You know. So anyway, she wasn't having a PE, but that's well. Her D dimer was elevated. Her her D dimer was elevated, and you can have a PE as you well know, and it everything kind of dissolve and. Why else would your D-dimer be elevated? But anyway, I digress. So at least she was okay. Right. Everything was fine. But according to Rhonda, mother-in-law being a little controlling, but paying for everything. So Rhonda probably felt like she couldn't say, hey, get out of my life. She probably liked having school paid for and having a new home, you know, as a, as a young couple that they otherwise probably wouldn't have been able to afford. So that's a difficult situation to be in. Like, in the spring of 2002, the couple mm-hmm. kind of started drifting apart. And Uh-oh. Yeah. They just started getting interested in different things. Now, she was in nursing school, and I know how I was in nursing school. I couldn't think about anything else. Like, that was everything to me. Just studying. Me too. Really? I mean, Me too. Because I felt like I, oh, yeah. I had to. If I didn't, I felt like I was going to fail. Like, it was overwhelming. Like, I... That's yeah. all I basically did. If I went out somewhere, I had my notes with me. Yeah. Yeah. And he started getting into drag racing and stuff. He he had like a really fast car, like a Camaro SS. I don't know what that is. but Oh, so he could still drive and stuff. Yeah. I guess. Oh, no. He, because, he, you know, he could walk some. He actually could like kind of get around. Okay. So, okay. yeah. He was kind of into that. Like it was a huge hobby for him and he loved it. But rather than going there and cheering him on and supporting him, she was just more like doing her thing. Mm-hmm. And and some of the some of his friends said even when she did show up to like the racetrack to be there for him, she would just sort of sit over there with a book. And I'm thinking, that was probably me. I'm sure if I went anywhere, <laughs> like you just said, you would take your yeah. notes with you. I was always that person. I could be at a doctor's yep. office and sitting there. Everywhere you would have anything you possibly could have, an app on your phone or just flashcards or whatever. Yeah. You just have to. I, I felt like I had to. I don't know. That was me. But I did. I did too. I get you on that yeah. for sure. To kind of back up a little bit, they were drifting apart, but they decided they would try to stay together in the same home for a while to try to let her get through nursing school. But they were trying to live as sort of like roommates rather than a married couple, even though they were still married. And they started dating other people. Now, according to Uh-oh. the interviews with the friends, he started dating people first. And then Rhonda kind of got, I don't know if it was jealous or what, but she started dating someone else well in november of that year 2002 he asked her for a divorce and he did tell her that he would stay with her until she finished school and then they would split amicably and and everything looked okay for a while but then all of a sudden everything kind of became strained because Rhonda got pregnant by another man and he was just like i can't do this anymore that's oh yeah that's well Gosh, that's a little too much to deal with, I guess. And even though he's dating other people, she's dating other people. I can imagine that that would. Right. But now to like he's supporting her still yes. and then to, to support her through like a pregnancy and have another man's baby is probably like, yeah, that's a little over the top. Yeah, because she, you know, she had a child when they met. He mm-hmm. from every all of the interviews from all of his family and all of their friends he loved her little girl and was just like a great stepdad to her. And so he's already being like an awesome stepfather to this little girl. It's not right. his. And now she's married with somebody. And so it must have just been like, I can't, you know. I can't right, right. So he did start making plans to move out. And then... In the early hours of the morning, like around 4 a.m. on May the 14th in 2003, Rhonda apparently woke up and ran over to the neighbors for help 
because she says their house was on fire. She had seen smoke and flames coming from his room and said, you know, please help me call 911, you know, all of that. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. You guys, a career in nursing is more than just a job. It's a lifelong journey of learning and growing. And professional development is key for any nurse hoping to advance their career. So how about you? Are you ready to take your career to the next level? If so, now is the time for you to get your certification in nursing. Earning your certification is a major professional milestone. It's a seal of approval recognized by professional peers, hiring managers, and patients. It signifies your commitment to excellence, your level of competence, and can make you more marketable in a competitive field, offering 18 different certifications, including 12 specialty certifications. Whether you're looking to earn your first certification, ready to renew, or exploring new certifications, they are there to make the entire process as easy, affordable, flexible, and painless as possible. Whatever your practice level or desired specialty, they can help you prepare your exam with a range of affordable tools and resources designed to set you up for success. And their commitment to you goes well beyond the exam. They provide all the ongoing support, advocacy, guidance, and resources that you need throughout your nursing career. This is your career, and you deserve the best. At ANCC, they're going to be there to help you every step of the way. So visit pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN to learn more. That's pages.nursingworld.org forward slash GNBN. And we'll put that link on our website. If you want to just go to Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, you can click on it from there. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet and I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put dot care instead of dot com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. They managed to get him out of the home and start CPR, but he had signs like soot all around like his nose. You could tell that he had inhaled quite a bit of smoke and he died later that morning. Oh boy. So they start looking immediately for the cause of the blaze, but they couldn't find a source of accelerant. And, you know, they always look for that big area of where where it started. And it's supposed to be obvious. And one thing that, that they said is if you have two points of ignition, in other words, two sources of, mm-hmm. of the fire, that's arson, period. You know, you, okay. you're you not going to have ac- an accidental fire start two times in the same home. In two separate, yeah, right. That makes sense, yeah. So they could not find any evidence of an intentional fire that someone did it on purpose. They interviewed her. She told them that this is what happened. Jimmy had been drinking the night before. He was drunk. And on his way to the bedroom, was kind of wheeled through the living room and said to her and her daughter, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really toasted. I'm going to go to bed. And she said he was in a really good mood. And but he was just had had too much to drink, according to her. And he was going to go to bed. So she says that at some point in the middle of the night before the fire woke her up, she woke up with the alarm, the smoke alarm. Mm -hmm. She went into his room and there was a candle that was on the floor and a whiskey bottle knocked over. And Mm. she said that she said 
she told him, you know, what do we know? What are you doing? And she cleaned it up, she said, and then went back to bed. So then she goes back to sleep. And then that's when she was awakened by the sound of the alarm. She said that she tried to go back to rescue him after she got help. So she went to the neighbors, please help me. I called 911. My husband is is trapped in his room and he can't get out. He's in a wheelchair. I need to go help him. And so she said she went back to help. This so far sounds kind of believable Mm -hmm. in in my opinion. Like, I don't know. I mean, obviously, maybe they'll find waiting to hear how much evidence they find, but it doesn't sound like that far fetched. Like, yeah, maybe he got mad at her, relit the candle like, hey, who are you to tell me I can't have my candle burning in here? Yeah. You know, Uh yeah, like maybe maybe he relit it and then she went back to bed and then. Mm The what you said, whiskey, the whiskey mm-hmm. was an accelerant. And then who knows? I mean, oh, but it yeah. sounds plausible. I think it's 100% plausible that that, you know, that definitely could have happened. She says that when she went back to help after she got help, when she went back to try to pull him out, that he started kicking against her. He was refusing to leave the room and she and that he was kicking her. And she kept she said she would pull on him and he would kick her and she would pull on him and he would kick her. And she said that the last time he kicked her in the chest so hard that she flew backwards through the bedroom door and it slammed behind her and locked. Oh, God. Okay. So, mm, okay, right there, when I when I heard that little detail, I was just like, mm, Rhonda, I don't know about that one, but we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> that one right there kind of hit me yeah. like, mm. That the door locked by itself? I'm struggling with that. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible. Doors are weird, okay? We have doors that do strange things in our house also, and sometimes they like won't latch. And then at certain times of the year, I don't know if it's because it's hot or cold or what happens or the settling, they'll, they will latch. And those little push button ones are weird. Yes. I don't know what kind of door it was, but those can be temperamental like that. Right. And so it's, I don't know. Iffy. I'm not going to say that's absolutely impossible that it happened, but I am going to say, well, that's a little suspect right there. Right. So here's another problem. The neighbor that she went to get help from and asked, you know, please call 911. I need my my husband needs help. He's trapped. He says he didn't see Rhonda go back in the house. And I would think that why that neighbor is going to have no reason to lie about that. And I would think they would remember something like that. He actually did go in the house to try to get Jimmy out. And when he went up to the door, he said he put his... It was locked. He put his hand on the door because he was going to try to kick it down. And it was so hot that he just thought that is not a good idea. So to try to go in. Yeah. Because, you know, that whole thing of the fire just like coming through the door. What is that? There was a movie about that backdraft where if you open the door, you know, like. And it lights like a, mm -hmm. yeah, like a. He knew better than to do that. And so he left because he knew he wouldn't be able to safely help him. So there was that. Okay. So there's Rhonda's take on what happened. That sounds very odd. And then there's the neighbor that says that didn't even happen at all. In any way, she didn't go back in the house. Here's the thing. Rhonda had claimed that he had been drinking the night before. She says that he said he was toasted and she found the whiskey bottle in his room. Well, Jimmy's mother says that that was impossible, absolutely impossible because Jimmy didn't drink at all. So when I was watching the interviews, and now I respect her, his mom, of course, but I also feel like there's things about my children that I don't know, because they're not going to tell me everything. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised to find out that he did, in fact, drink, but that his mom didn't know anything about it, you know? Yeah, I don't think that's necessarily like, oh, mom says he didn't drink, he must not have, you know? Yeah, he may not have told her exactly. Yeah. So I kind of was like, well, it does seem odd that his mom wouldn't know he drank at all. Right. But also when the toxicology report came back, he had no alcohol in his system. Mm. And he was supposed to have been drunk. Yeah. And if he had, or at least there was a whiskey bottle laying there and he said, that's weird. Mm-hmm. If he said he was toasted, if there was a whiskey bottle laying there, if he had drunk that much whiskey, there should be some alcohol still in his system a few hours later, you know? Absolutely. So there was no alcohol in his system. And so, of course, they're really pushing for a confession from Rhonda. She would not confess. She absolutely refused. She said, I didn't do this. I'm innocent. I did not do anything to hurt him. And so as a last-ditch effort, 
about six months after the fire, they called in an expert fire investigator, Ray Powell. Okay, now, Jessica, six months after is a little, that's a long time, you know, for what was he going to do, like reanalyze the, the crime scene or the or whatever was collected, I guess. Yeah, that's okay. And he concluded that there was evidence of arson. He says that there was evidence that there were two points of ex- like accelerant points, like where the, the fire actually started, that according to him, mm-hmm. it looked as though the alcohol, because they found, they did find the whiskey bottle. It was apparently wild turkey. And Ooh, I know, go. I know. What's his name again? His first name, the hubby. What the hell is it? I can't Jimmy, remember. Jimmy, Jimmy, go, Jimmy, go. I know. <laughs> But, wild turkey. Well, that's, that's some hard stuff right there. But that could have been from a few nights before. Maybe he just didn't clean it up. Mm-hmm. Or she poured the wild turkey. Well, she did say that know. it that it spilled. So he may have been asleep and she spilled it and lit it on fire. I mean and then <laughs> and then locked him in there. I don't know. I mean, there's a couple of different scenarios and one sounds a whole lot more plausible than the other in my eyes, but you know. I don't know. I'll let people decide what they want to decide. It just exactly it does. You know, that was her story. Like she went in there earlier and there was whiskey on the floor where he had spilled it. And the candle was on the floor and she cleaned up the, the whiskey. And then apparently he, like you said, he must have relit the candle because who would then leave the candle lit and then walk out in the middle of right, the night? Exactly. That wouldn't make any sense. So, no. But if that happened, there probably would have been a couple of different places because if there was a huge pool of whiskey in one place and then also if it spilled again, you know, later, some came out, but not all of it the first time. And then now there's more and it's a different spot. I don't know. The arson investigator said there was evidence that it was around where he would have been. And then the way that it looked as though he was blocked from the door. Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, like he would have had to either go through the fire with his wheelchair but if the wheelchair was on fire he would have had to get out of it and if accelerant was put all over the floor you know and and he's having to try to get around you know on the floor that and then right he's probably slower to move like you know especially with the problems that he has and he is probably a little bit sleepy and out i mean out of it i don't I don't know. And, the the and, thing that's throwing me for a loop is the no alcohol in his system. That's the thing that's yep. like, especially after she said that he said, I'm lit, I'm going to go lay down. Like, yeah. that it just doesn't make sense. The prosecutor's office waited five years to proceed with a trial, but they did not really have a lot of evidence that she had anything directly to do with starting the fire and actually committing this crime. They didn't have any real scientific proof. They didn't have any real physical evidence but they took her to trial and the jury took two hours to decide that she was guilty and they sentenced her to 88 years in prison so here's another thing jessica the whole fire science thing has been debunked quite often over the past several years i can specifically remember several stories where from a long time ago from like you know 30 years ago where people were convicted on that evidence. And then those convictions were overturned because it was proven that that was junk science. So if I'm on a jury and the defense does their job and they bring experts that say, ever so often we find out that everything that we thought was true isn't. Yeah, you know? yeah, it makes you think that maybe if this is not beyond a reasonable doubt, like maybe mm-hmm. there is some doubt because things just aren't adding up properly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he could he could have very well just did not have to see her downstairs, lied and said, I've drank too much. I'm going to bed like that could have been just something he said to get out of and go upstairs and do his own thing. I don't know. The initial investigator said, I don't really see any sign that someone set this fire on purpose. That was the initial investigator. Well, six months later is when they brought in this so-called expert. The defense brought the insurance because there was insurance involved, of course. There was almost a million dollars worth of life insurance on Jimmy. And she, according to prosecutor, she started calling those insurance companies like that day. 
they said the his body was still smoldering when she called started calling the the good lord in heaven that's what the prosecutor said she didn't waste no time if that's true well that's what they were saying and they but the defense called a fire expert from the insurance company that went out and investigated that person said it was not arson you know you know that the if it was set intentionally by someone they're not going to pay her right absolutely not yeah right so it, they it's to their advantage to say no she did this on purpose or someone did this on purpose well yes yes it would be mm-hmm. it, it definitely would be but now this is two different people saying that it was on purpose no right? the insurance company investigator said or, that it was not and the defense her defense attorney brought them and they testified on her behalf oh. that we didn't really see okay. any signs, you know, that it was set intentionally. Okay. I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a weird story where you're just, you kind of go back and forth. You're like, well, but the investigators. I know. Said, you know I feel like I'm on a roller coaster here, Tina. I, I do I'm too. Like, I do too. One second. I'm like, I'm like, oh, she did it. Yeah. And then the next second I'm like, well, mm-hmm. maybe she didn't, maybe she's in jail and she shouldn't be like, yes, this is a hard one. Like some of the ones you and I have done together, we've been like, no. This person probably is falsely accused, you know, and we felt strongly, but I don't know. This one's, I don't have a strong feeling either way, honestly. What do you think, Tina? I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you think? Well, he had, the toxicology report did show that he had Benadryl in his system, a lot of Benadryl, like more than a therapy, quote, therapeutic allergy dose would be. Okay. So I wonder, did she slip him some Benadryl at some point the night before to kind of get him good and knocked out so that he would sleep through this Mm -hmm. and then she could stage the whole thing? Because that story that he was kicking her and kicked her so hard that she went through the door and then the door slammed behind her and locked. And this is a man that has trouble walking, right? There you go. Okay, think about this. How would a door slam by a person being thrown through it? How would that even work? That doesn't make sense. So the door would have to slam from the inside, right? It wouldn't open into the hallway. A bedroom door would not open into the hallway. So it would have to open into the... So he would kick her so hard that she went through the doorway... And then it hit the wall and reverberated right. back and closed and locked. Right. That seems unlikely. Also, they sent her to the emergency room right away because she claimed that she was in the house and that she inhaled smoke. There was no signs of smoke inhalation for her. If she had been in that room while it yeah. was engulfed in flames, because it was, she said that it was engulfed in flames when she went for help. Then she came and back. The neighbor didn't, and the neighbor didn't see her go in. The neighbor didn't so. see her go in. She had no signs of smoke inhalation, no soot in her nose as he did. There were two firefighters who did try to save him, the ones that pulled him out and did CPR and actually did try to save his life. They had to be hospitalized. Yeah. And that's that they have the gear mm-hmm. and the stuff on. Yep. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. So mm-hmm. maybe this is why the jury, you know, went that way. Yeah. There's just a lot of inconclusive mm-hmm. kinds of things that it's like, how could that have happened without somebody yeah. doing something? I yeah, don't know. And I just, I feel like, there, you know, there was no evidence at all of from any of her friends, family, colleagues, anyone around her, acquaintances that said there was anything like this that was ever in her past. She was always considered this kind, caring, nurturing person. And so it really shocked everyone. But if you just look at the evidence, you know, you just look at what happened, that a man and a, a man who's wheelchair bound, who is not known to drink alcohol, who had no alcohol in his system, somehow died in a fire. Got hammered on wild turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Why would his wife claim that he was drunk and that he said he was toasted? Also, her daughter told the prosecutor. Well, the prosecutor says now, you know how this is. This is a child. But the prosecutor says that her daughter told them that she Uh told her daughter to tell them that Jimmy rolled through there that night saying, hey, I'm toasted. I'm going to bed. So so in Mm -hmm. other words, she's like, hey, I need you to. If they ask, I need you to back me up on this and say that he said that. But here's the thing. She's becoming a nurse. I mean, she's not by any means not a smart individual. 
she would have had to have known that they were going to test his blood alcohol. You would like, think if somebody dies in a fire or something like or unless she felt like, oh, they're not even going to be able to test it because he's going to be so like his remains are going to be. So that's charred. the only other thing yeah. I can. Th- yeah, that's the only other thing I can think of, because mm-hmm. otherwise, I mean, you would be smart enough to know, like, I yeah. can play this story, but they're they're going to test his his blood. Like, I think that that's a, a very good possibility, you know, that she was probably yeah. thinking, okay, kind of counting on that. Them that not there would be. Yeah. Right. But they got him out in time to try to save him. Right. Somewhat. And maybe that's where it jacked up her story. That could be what happened. Yeah, because there being no alcohol in his system and her giving this story, why would there be no alcohol in his system? And yet he knocked over a candle two different times in the middle of the night. And he was so slammed, you know, so hammered that he didn't know what he was doing. And he had Benadryl in his system. I don't know. And she told the daughter to say, say Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, it, like it's not looking good for. Yeah. So I t- told you, I just got through a recording with David from Nurse Papa. And we were talking about he he would never want to be on a jury. He says, he said, I would never want to do that. I cannot do it. And I'm like, I'll be on every one of them. I would line up to do it all the time because I want to almost be there for the defendant. And that sounds weird, but I sometimes don't trust our criminal justice system. And I know that there are a lot of people that are locked up and in prison. And there have been people put to death because a wrongful conviction. That right there, you wouldn't even be picked as a jury member because you're already, they would see you as jaded. If they asked you a pinpoint question like that, Mm -hmm. like, why do you want to be a juror? Mm -hmm. And you answered and you said, this is, I'm calling you out here, Tina. Mm -hmm. And you said, there's nothing wrong with that. You would be on. You would say, I want to be here for the defense. Automatically, you'd be thrown out. <laughs> It'd be like, right. no, no, not a good candidate. Yeah. Because they'd be worried that you would be swayed for the defendant. Yeah. That is what I believe, as I believe a lot of people that are on juries are swayed toward the prosecution. And I think it's unfair. I would in no way give any weight to the defense. I assume uh, that they're innocent like we are supposed to. And I do believe that most people assume that they're guilty and want to be want it to be proven otherwise because they assume that the prosecution would not be or would not have brought them to trial. They would not have been brought to trial if they weren't guilty. And so they mu- there must be evidence and they're just looking for like, okay, what do I, I, I just need you to put it together for me. And I, I believe people come in there with those preconceived ideas, even though they don't want to be that way. And I feel, I think people want to be um, biased. I think that it is naturally. I'm very curious as to like, if they do ask questions like that, I have no idea. I've never been a potential candidate for a case or anything. I have. I have been on a jury. I've been on several times. I've been uh, served on a jury. What do they ask you? Like, what is what are kind of questions? They don't they didn't ask a whole lot of questions. And I think I think by the time they get there, they're so afraid that they're not going to get a get 12 people that want to be on a jury that they are. They don't go too in depth into those questions. One of the uh, cases that I was on was a murder case and the it was a drive by shooting. And so they were like, you know, have you ever been the victim of a, a major crime like this? Have you do you have any family that's been murdered? You know, that sort of thing, because they don't certainly don't want to be like, yes, I'm, I can't wait. I don't right. care if it was not the person I want to convict someone. So I remember them asking a few questions like that. But other than mm-hmm. that, they, they were like, can you be unbiased? And I do believe I can be unbiased. I bet that you could, because I'm going to tell you through this podcast tonight, I can't read which way you're leaning, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're kind of collecting the information and there's part of you that's like, okay, maybe it could have gone this way. But then there's another part of you that's like, maybe it could have gone that way. Mm-hmm. So like during some of this, I'm trying to read you and I still can't gather 100% yeah. how you feel. And maybe that's because you're not 100% sure. Like maybe, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's like you're, you haven't made a decision. It frightens me how many people just want to reach a verdict yeah. and how many people cave because they're like, okay, this needs resolution. Yeah, I think it happens way too much. I I read way too much of these stories. I find when I, when I was in doing my prerequisites in college before I and you know and having to write all the papers, one of the papers mm-hmm. argument papers that I did was on the death penalty, and I thought I was for the death penalty. I used to think that 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 was an eye for an eye, or you know, like 
yeah. in thinking about some of the horrible things people do, I would just think I would want to be an advocate for the victim and their family. You know, I, that was my mindset. Right. And then when I started researching about the death penalty, I started realizing, I cannot believe this. How can there be this many people who literally have been killed? De- mm-hmm. they've, we've killed them. And then we find out later that they were innocent. This is so unfair. And so oh then that part of me that, you know, that that part of me that wants to be an advocate always for someone is like, oh, wow, look at this person. They were innocent. And not only did we put them through all of this and they were in prison and they had all their family thinking that they did this or maybe maybe not. Maybe they believed in them. But at any rate, they've their lives were wrecked and they were innocent. Yeah. And it, a lot of times it happens to African-American people. Unfortunately, African-American men, it's very, very common. And I just feel like we got to take that off the table. That's that's something you can't go back and you can't undo that. You can't, re- you know, at least you can release them from prison if you do find out. I, I, I know our criminal justice yeah. system, we're doing the best we can. And, you know, we're, tr- but if you kill somebody, you can't come back from that. And I just, that's why I kind of like changed, I totally changed my mind about it. Well, especially with with the prior prosecutions and stuff of people before DNA right. evidence really came into effect. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, years later, they're able to analyze evidence way differently than they could back then. Mm-hmm. It's crazy as, as science progresses and things get further, mm-hmm. how much it changes the way that a case, you know, is, is rolled out because it's, it's almost like ever changing. You know what I mean? It is like always changing. Things are gonna, mm-hmm. Yeah. Things are going to get more as science progresses, more specific and more analyzed and more detailed. And it's crazy. I mean, it really, really is. And jurors, I've, I feel like put a lot of faith in our system. They put a lot of faith in, in the science. You know, they, they trust yeah. it. And so many times, you know, if you just go back and look at a lot of the different types of science that, that is used by investigators, mm-hmm. handwriting analysis, total BS. I mean, so many types of science that's considered science in investigate, you know, when investigating these, you know, crimes, later on, years later, you find out, oh, we really didn't know handwriting analysis. We thought that was good. Nah, never mind. That's crap. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> Meanwhile, that sucks. you had 12 people sitting there in a room going, I mean, the handwriting match just got to, you know. Yeah. They're like, oh, you forgot to analyze Jimmy's drunk handwriting. <laughs> right. It's totally different from sober Jimmy. Right. Like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, so definitely. I, I just, that's why I say I would want to be on a jury. It's not that I would enjoy sitting in judgment of someone else. I certainly wouldn't want to do that. And I took it very seriously. But I also insisted I was such a nerd. I I know they probably hated my guts, but I insisted that we not just make a haste decision. They wanted to. They wanted to just be like, hey, let's vote. As soon as we got back from this murder, you know, and they were just like, everybody knows, right? Let's vote. It was me and one other person who was like, no, not guilty. I guarantee you, if the two of us had said some, guilty, we wouldn't have even looked. Some people just want to. Yeah. Some people want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is. Yeah. That's I know what you're insane. saying. I really do. That's, that's so crazy. So I don't know. When I look at this whole case, even though I think I would. Well, I assume someone, someone is innocent until proven guilty. I do think that all of this evidence is really heavy against her. It's very, yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's very suspicious. That's for yeah. sure. There's a lot of evidence here. There was no alcohol. Why would she lie about that? Why would she lie and say he was drunk? I don't know. Because she had Weird. to be lying about it, right? Why would she lie? So and any well, the other thing is like any like or sane person would be. Here's the other thing, though. If I, I'm thinking if you committed the crime, wouldn't you in your mind know not to call the insurance company to make your claim on their death immediately. Jessica, so that no. to me though puts a flag in my head. No. Or do people do that? Like, are are they so greedy that they're like, oh, I'm going to get away with this and I'm going to call? The, I would just say if I murdered somebody, I'd be like, I'm going to lay low for a couple of weeks before I make a call to. No, uh, if they do. They don't have any sense. I'm telling you, I tell people. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> That's why I tell people all the time. Like, I'm like, I don't try to give anyone advice on this podcast. But the one thing I say is just don't commit any crimes. Don't do it if you're thinking about because you are stupider than you think you are. Trust me, you will do the dumbest things. 
if you do, which I'm not advocating for it, I wouldn't make an insurance claim that day or the day after. I'm just saying that that's a red flag, people. Red flag right there. They do all kinds of crazy stuff like that, that you're just in retrospect, you look back and go, why would you do that? That was so stupid. But well, I guess the same reason that they would murder them. Not not a lot of stuff going on in between the not ears. Not a lot of common sense. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe that's it. Well. So so she's still in jail? She or? has not yet been granted parole. She did get the 88 years, but she does have the possibility of parole. She was okay. eligible for parole in 2014, which I thought, well, that's not very many years. No, she was 2008 when this happened. Yeah. So that's. Her next okay. hearing will be in August of 2023. So. They'll keep a couple years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Two years from now. She'll keep coming up for parole. And I'm sure his family will be there to advocate for him and, you know, and his memory. And yeah. So, well, that's an interesting story there, Tina. We'll take a moment to hear a word from our sponsor. Did you know that you don't have to go all across the country to be a travel nurse? You certainly can, but you don't have to. I literally took an assignment that's an hour and a half away from my house and I love it. I can stay in a hotel room if I want, or I can drive back home. So it's the best of both worlds for me. For my next assignment, we're going to get a cabin in the mountains that's about two hours from our house. So it'll really be like a little getaway. Also, one of my really good friends is going with me so we can share expenses. You guys, even if you're just a little curious about travel nursing, go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there and what they pay. Go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it and she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing Uh, You can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. I'm really excited about this good nurse story because this is something I can get very passionate about. It's very relevant to what's going on right now. And I I watched this on the news. So uh, back just like, a few days ago, this happened just like within the past week, over two dozen University of Alabama uh, Medical Center, like UAB emergency room nurses refused to clock in. They showed up and apparently had told, you know, got in touch with some news media, told them that they were going to do this, which I thought was very smart. And so they were there and they were videoing them and interviewing them. And there were night shift nurses who were refusing to clock in because of um, several reasons, one of which was a lack of equal compensation. Several nurses had spoken out about how difficult it's been serving during the COVID crisis. Mm -hmm. They said, we're here fighting for equal compensation. We're fighting for what we deserve. It's been very overwhelming during the second surge. You know, the first surge was bad enough. This one is worse than the first one because we've depleted a lot of our staff. And so... We don't have any staff. Mm -hmm. It's insane. They said they don't feel appreciated. The nurses said that patient care was not being compromised by this process. They had it pre-worked out with the day shift nurses that they would stay so that they would be able to do this as a demonstration. So I just thought this was so smart. And they had a very clear message. You know, they wanted equal compensation. They let everyone know patient care is our number one concern and 
we had that worked out beforehand. So no patient care was compromised. The Alabama State Nurses Association President, Lindsay Harris, spoke outside the UAB that night about the conditions the nurses were facing across the state of Alabama and said that nurses in Alabama on average are paid 8% less than their colleagues in surrounding states. She also discussed the pressure that COVID-19 has put on hospitals in Alabama, which I know it's been rough. It has increased our patient load and caused a lot of stress on our nurses, on staff, just on healthcare in general, according to Harris. Hospitals need help. Hospitals need more nurses. And at some point, we have to think about our staff that are here. So the UAB Hospital Chief Nursing Officer Terry Poe made a statement The COVID pandemic and recent Delta variant surge have stressed the healthcare system and put tremendous pressure on our staff, including nurses on the front lines. We are aware of our nurses' concerns and are working to address them while adjusting operations to provide the highest quality care to our patients who need us. We encourage a dialogue with our employees, particularly in difficult times like these. Our community can help us support our nurses and all our employees by wearing masks and getting vaccinated to curb the pandemic that continues to put pressure on those who have been working to serve our state. So after their earlier statement, UAB said just later on, After discussing their concerns with hospital leadership this evening, emergency department staff joined their colleagues to care for patients. This important dialogue will continue. So this hits me like, this is so fresh for me. I relate to them so much. This is right where I am right now. Now, I will say I've been doing travel nursing. I have been compensated what I believe all nurses should be getting. Right, you're getting paid good money, which is amazing, which is what bedside nurses that are staff at a hospital should be getting paid or at least uh, somewhat closer to that. And that's not what's happening anywhere because hospitals continue to hold their bottom dollar Mm -hmm. because they do not want to set an example that shows that they refuse to do something for the betterment of the hospital, the staff, the patients, for everybody. Nurses are leaving the bedside as a staff hospital nurse. It's out of control. Mm -hmm. This whole pandemic has further push nurses to the point of they don't want to do it anymore. They're burnt out. Seriously. Like why would any nurse stay on for like one fourth or one third of what they could make when they could take a travel assignment, drive maybe a little bit further and make triple that. It makes no sense. I commend these nurses, but I don't know when administration is going to wake up. I really don't. I think it's going to take a lot of nurses across the country doing demonstrations exactly like that. And I love that they did it the way they did. It was organized and they did it collectively and they talked to each other. They talked to their day shift staff. Administration looks at it as, well, the patients were still covered. So really no harm, no foul. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that sounds like sickening, but it's the truth. There was a bunch of physicians in Miami that did the same thing. Mm-hmm. They did a walkout several weeks ago. Yeah. But of course, they either had their phone on them or they had another physician covering their patients at the moment to do this walkout. Because we all know as healthcare providers, you cannot abandon your patient. No. Bottom line, you can't. Mm-hmm. That's an oath that we take where they're actually finally losing more money from lawsuits or things like that before they're actually going to open their eyes mm-hmm. and realize that they're not going to win as far as bottom dollar. It's not going to happen. I did a funny TikTok the other day. I tried to use humor. You know me, Tina. You remember the Backstreet Boys? So I did a little TikTok and it was me singing as a Backstreet Boys. And I said, I was a hospital administrator. And I said, I don't care who you are, where you're from, don't care what you did, as long as you work here. (laughs) Well, I think they're going to have to start doing something because there are actually empty beds in hospitals all across the country right now because even they can't make nurses take on that many patients. They are having to say, "Uh, well, we're going to shut this wing down and we'll shut this unit down and we'll bring these nurses over here. They're doing that's happening all across the country. They have rent all these people off and now they're just down to the bare bones. There are certain units because I have so many people, so many friends now that do travel nursing through Trusted Health. So I talk to a lot of people all across the country at different hospitals. And what I'm hearing is that it is not at all unusual to walk onto a unit as a travel nurse. And literally all the other nurses are travel nurses. 
on the whole unit. Yeah. So someone has to flow. Oh, we have too much staff, which is not really too much staff. It's like we're covered here. You know, like if it's the unit, everybody has three <laughs> three patients, but someone else is worse off. So we're going to float somebody to another unit. The travel nurses get to stay because they're all they, they're they're swapping out. You know what I'm saying? Like usually it would be the travel nurse that they would float first. In this case, they're like, well, hey, we're all travel nurses. So I guess we'd just take turns and my turn, you know, to get to stay this time. So this is getting more and more common. I get messages and emails from from nurses saying, how long should I wait before I start doing travel nursing? I don't I think there are there there's a limit and trusted health doesn't take you have to have a year of experience. I think two years for critical care. But I think there are some agencies out there that are taking new grads. And I don't know. That's scary. That is scary. I worry about my license anyway. And I've been a nurse for over six years. And I feel like I've got experience. The floors are going to consist of new grads, nurses from overseas and travel nurses. Yeah. Because the nurses that have been there and have the experience are either going to become a travel nurse or they're going to find some other avenue and nursing because they're tapped out. Yeah. But Jessica, don't you think this happened before? This was pre-COVID. It, this was all going on before. This has been ongoing. I can tell you my work burnt me out. I, I was being bullied at work. I had been a nurse there for 15 years on the same department. I was literally told I was looked eye to eye by my nurse manager and she said, well, you know, you are replaceable. There there are other people that would be dying to take your position. So maybe this isn't a fit for you anymore. Maybe you need to look for something else. That's the kind of support that I got. This was way pre-COVID. It's sad. It really, really is It sad. is sad. It's really what has caused such a huge crisis because they were running these hospitals so lean. And when I say that, I mean, like, there's literally a program called lean that these hospitals use. And it is a program that is used to run manufacturing companies that make things that are not people. They literally manufacture things. The way that it works is keep everything lean. Yeah. You don't want to have nurses there that are there in case an emergency comes in. You got to send them home. Send them home. You got to get them get them out of here. Why not just leave it where, you know, you're staffing according to what could happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how the hospitals were running before COVID. They were already burning us out. We were already stressed. We were already dealing with all of these things. But then COVID hit and it's like all the people who were there still that are wonderful nurses, just loving to be nurses, trying to make a difference, just went, okay, now I really have had enough. I can't do this. You went from being lean to being an absolute skeleton. Yep. Well, I am really proud of those UAB nurses. If there's anybody from Alabama, especially any of you nurses listening to this, if you were one, were one of those or from that hospital, I would love to hear from you. I want you to know how proud I am of you. That was not easy to do. I know that was probably very scary. Many of you are probably afraid of the repercussions that you were going to face. Maybe you are facing repercussions. Maybe you're feeling judged by your management You know, for that. I don't know. But you knew that that was a possibility and you did it anyway. And I feel like, Jessica, just like what you said, it's not like they thought, oh, we'll do this and then everything will change because of it. They knew that it was a demonstration, yeah. that it was a, right. it was to have their voices heard, to make, make the news, so to get the word out, hopefully be an example for other nurses around the country to want to do something like that similar, maybe take another step forward uh, to do whatever we have to do to save nursing. I don't want yeah. people to jump ship and I want to keep good nurses. I want to keep people at the bedside. It's getting harder and harder. If you don't mind, there's an amazing organization that I know, maybe you've heard of, it's called The Last Pizza Party. They're on TikTok, they're on Facebook, and I've been working with them closely. These nurses that run this know everything about the legal things that are happening in nursing, what legislation they're trying to push, what things they're trying to get changed, and they are on the up and up. There's a big demonstration happening in Washington on November 7th that hopefully a lot of nurses will be able to attend where we're asking for state for patient staffing ratios and and things that are crumbling the nursing field. We're not robots, are we, Tina? No. We're not. We're not infallible. Right. We are human beings. And you cannot continue to put more and more and more on a human being and not expect them to make a mistake. Right. It is impossible. 
God, you didn't know you'd get me on this tangent tonight, Tina. You got me all fired up. Yeah, but I love this kind of stuff. This is the kind of stuff I love. And I think the people that listen to this love it too. I know you have a lot of nursing students. I don't want to scare them. Nursing is an amazing profession. Mm -hmm. It will change your life. You will change other people's lives. It it is absolutely amazing. But at the same point, you've got to be smart. Don't go into something that you're going to be completely unsafe and overwhelmed. I know that there are probably still some places that are doing it the right way. I do think that a lot of them, it's few and far between lately because of the pandemic, but don't give up. Yeah. Well, we will get through this. We will figure out a way to get nursing where it needs to be, but we have to do it together. Well, you guys can find Jessica. She's so funny. And she's on Instagram. She's on TikTok. She's on Facebook. Nurse Jessica Sites, S-I-T-E-S. I've had people ask me that. S-I-T-E-S is uh, how you spell her last name. And you know, you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com on our website, or you can email me at Tina at goodnursebadnurse. And then we're on social media, of course. And I also want to remind you guys, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.